Uh, what up, Wellspring? <laughs> uh, it's good to see you all again. Uh, for many of the familiar faces I know, good to see your faces. And for those who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jesse. And like Billy said, we planted two years ago, actually on this Sunday. So it's been two years. Amen. <laughs> Billy said we'd never make it, but here we are. The Lord has blessed the church in many ways, and we're really thankful for the work of the Lord. Just last week, we had uh, two baptisms, which was great to see. Um, A month ago, we did a special service called Lessons and Carols, where we have people read a little scripture and share a little testimony. And one of the most poignant testimonies of the evening was somebody reading from the prophet Isaiah, who said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And then he said, this is me. I was walking in darkness, and I've seen a great light. And so we've seen that story happen in people's lives. We've seen people come deeper into faith with him. Again, we've seen baptisms. We've seen the Lord draw us into ministries in the community. He's created a presence, a community. He's rooted us. It's not like a bamboo shoot that's shooting up really fast, but it is like an oak tree putting in roots. It's growing. It's bearing acorns. uh, It's bearing fruit for his kingdom. It's alive and well. And uh, we really are thankful for all that Wellspring gave us and for your prayers. And I would continue to ask for your prayers, actually. Uh, Church planning is very hard, and it's not about strategy. It's not about having the best personality and being the coolest kid on the block. It is all about the Holy Spirit drawing people to himself. And we ask, we continue to ask for all the people to pray for us, that the Lord would draw people to himself and that they would know him in a deeper and fuller way. So again, it's good to be here with you all. As we open to the scriptures, let me just say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you again for this day and for your grace and for how you've given us these scriptures as a guide to know you. We pray that, as always, they would never just be filled with information for our minds, but, Lord, that by your Spirit you would plant these in our hearts, that they would draw us into all truth and into all life together with you. Thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. Restore to us the story in our lives, we pray your name. Amen. Well, during this epiphany season, Wellspring is in a series looking at the power of stories. The stories that we tell, the stories that we grab a hold of, the stories that we absorb, that we don't even know we're absorbing, the stories that we embody, really have so much power over our lives. And they guide us and they direct us more than we can ever know. And what we're going to look at today is how creation is the original story. It's the OG story that God gave to all of mankind. And this really is a massive topic. And since we don't have eight hours to do this sermon, to help focus us, today what I want to look at is how did God give us the gift of creation through the lens of Hebrews chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Hebrews chapter 2. And I think one of the reasons that Hebrews 2 is so relevant to us and to this sermon series is because the whole book, but especially this section here, really is like the beginning of a giant encouragement. It's like a giant pep talk that the author is giving to the people here that are reading. In fact, many people think it was originally a sermon. And it's a message, it's an encouragement, it's a pep talk given to people that, as the British would say, have lost the plot. Now, I used to live overseas. This is a real impression, but I used to live overseas, and since I'm prone to say dumb things, my British friends would always say, oh, Jesse, you've lost the plot, mate. And what they mean is you've lost touch with the story. The people here in Hebrews, in many ways, have lost touch with the story that God started in their lives, and so they're disoriented. 
And we can gather from the context of this book that the people had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they leaned into these ideas of purpose and meaning and joy and peace. Only when they experienced troubles and pain and when they realized that they were actually more and more marginalized in their society. And later we read in Hebrews, when they lost their property, when it was stolen from them, and they discovered that it's not actually very easy to live for Jesus Christ in a pluralistic society that does not love Christians. So because of all these challenges, the people in Hebrews started to ask some really hard questions. They started to ask, is is God real? Is this story that we were told about Jesus Christ real? Is he present in my life now? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the purpose? All I'm experiencing are challenges and pain, and it seems like God is distant. And they were even asking questions like, should we go back to Judaism? Should we hold on to paganism? What should we do with our lives? What is the story that we should grab a hold of? These are the deep questions that the book answers. They were hard questions that they were embracing. They had, because of that, lost track. They'd lost track of the story that God gave them in the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. Now, for many of us, we don't live in the exact same context as the book of Hebrews, but many of us can probably see the same pattern echo in our lives where we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we come to Wellspring and we sing songs about joy and peace and purpose and goodness. Only when we experience challenges in our own lives, when things don't go like the songs we sing, when anxiety in our lives lingers at times, when we find like the book of Hebrews that we're living in a culture that, that where the teachings of Jesus are increasingly divergent from the culture around us and thus it's more socially and culturally expensive to hold on to the timeless teachings of Jesus Christ. Or maybe we're in a place where These promises that we hear about and we read about don't seem to be happening as much or at least at the frequency that we want to see them happen in our own lives, at the pace that we want to see happen. Whatever it is, whatever it is, all of us can have the same temptation as the people in Hebrews where we hit challenges or we just don't see things happening in the way that we want them to happen. We can have the temptation to lose the plot, mate, to to lose track of the story that God has given us. And so I'm excited for this sermon series. The rest of the weeks, you're going to explore what is the story that God has given? How do we regain that story? Again, this week, we're going to go back to the original, the beginning. What is the story that God started all of creation, but really us with? What did he give us? And the author here at the beginning of the book here in Hebrews is going to take them, the the readers, and really he's taking us back to the original story that we are the crown of God's creation, and that we were created to have dominion together with him. So today what we're going to look at is what is the story that God's given us, at least what is part of that story that God has given us, what is the story that we lost, and how did Christ restore that story to us? So again, if you have your Bibles, we'll start here in verse 6, and it's a reference that the author is making back to Psalm 8, and he says this, What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him, a little, you made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So in God's joy and for his glory, he created the whole world and it was good. 
And then as the crown of his creation, he created us, those lower than the angels in one sense, but crowned with glory and honor, and he put everything in subjection under the feet of mankind. Now this, this is our origin story. This is the original story that God created us for and with, that God created us. He created the world good, and then he created us as the crown of God's creation, and he created us to have dominion, created in his image. That's who we are. Now the first big thing that that means for us is that God created us with an innate dignity. That we're not just part of creation, we are. But God crowned us for his own glory and for his own joy. He crowned us, humankind, with glory and honor. And the word dignity, I think, is telling and I think really helpful for us because it comes from the Latin word dignitas. And if you look at the base word for dignitas, it means to receive something you take or receive. So what's implied in the word dignity is that our value, our worth, our goodness is something that is received outside of ourselves. So just to make sure we're awake on this frigid morning, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, dignitas. Very good, very good. Our dignity is received outside of ourselves because we are crowned with glory and honor because it was God's joy to do so. Now for us, we often lose sight of this part of God's story in one of two ways, and they're actually extremes of each other. The first is that because it's received, we look to everything else in the world, we look to the opinions of others, we look to our own achievements, we look to the tacit approval of whatever cultural group seems to have temporary cultural power to say that we're on the right team. We look in the mirror even. We look at all other things outside of ourselves to try to receive our dignity. I think one of the reasons that the people in Hebrews that were reading the book of Hebrews were so disoriented is that because up to this point, they were accepted in society. They had good standing. Many of them had property and good jobs. Only then at the time, to become a Christian meant they were marginalized and they had fewer rights and they were looked down on. And they were starting to ask the question, well, I had dignity, I thought, at least in relationship to society, but now that's sort of shaky. So that caused them to be disoriented. We can be disoriented in the same way when we look to other things to receive our dignity. When we come back to God's original story, we see again that our dignity is received and it's received from the Most High God because he crowned us with glory and honor. It's not received from our achievements or our education or our race or any piece of legislation or whatever society says or any level of acceptance. It doesn't come from how our parents treated us. It doesn't come from us comparing ourselves to other people. When we compare ourselves to other people, it's sort of like saying, I'm the world's most extreme pickleball player. First service didn't really get it either. No. <laughs> Pickleball's not really an extreme sport. And so when you, when you compare yourselves to other inside a certain set, then you're not really that high. You're not really that extreme because it's not an extreme sport, even though I did break a rib playing it last year. <laughs> True story. Ran into a fence. Anyways. That 75-year-old lady really got me. Anyways. <laughs> our dignity doesn't come from anything in the world. It doesn't come from comparing ourselves or any level of worth that anyone else ascribes to us. It comes only from him. We receive it because we are crowned with glory and honor. This is dignitas. 
that we receive from him. Now that's one way we lose sight of this original story. The second way we lose sight of this part of God's story is that instead of looking to others or the world to receive our dignity, we say, I think therefore I am. I crown myself with dignity. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I do what I want. Embracing that sort of rugged independence of the Rocky Mountains. Now, of course, this can lead us to a place of overconfidence and pride where we look only to ourselves to give ourselves dignity. We don't properly acknowledge the source, the good gift of God in our lives, the root and the source of all things. This is where perhaps the general thanksgiving prayer in our prayer books can be helpful. It's one of my favorite prayers. Just read a few lines of it for you. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and your loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. You bless us. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for the immeasurable love of your Son, our Jesus Christ, the redemption of the world. You can't pray that and crown yourself. All good things come from him. There is no room for pride or overconfidence. We do have confidence because our dignity is not based on ourselves. It comes from God, but we don't have overconfidence or pride because we look to him as the giver of all good things. God crowned all of humanity and us with glory and honor. That's the start of our story. Now, on top of that, the other thing that God gave us in creation that we're going to look at today is that God put everything in subjection under the feet of mankind. And what this means is that God didn't just create us to be a beautiful crown that he set on a shelf to admire, but he created us with a purpose. And the purpose was to have dominion. It's dominion under God. It's dominion with God. But what it is, it's a joyfully bringing about the flourishing of the whole world for the joy and for the glory of God together with him. Now, another way to state it, maybe something that's easier to remember, is that God created us to bring the goodness of God into the world and to bring about the goodness in the world and offer it back to God. So he gave us dominion. So sort of like the basement of my house. My name is on the title. It's my house. But I've given dominion of the basement to my children. And there are times where I need to intervene, and there are times where fights happen, and there's big messes a lot of the times, but it is my great joy to go downstairs and watch them think and be creative and make things. And so if you were going to our basement now, you'd see a swing that they made, and you'd see how they made a church out of magnet towels, which they used to baptize Legos in, you know, pastor's kids. (laughs) And one of my greatest joys is when they run upstairs... And they say, Dad, Dad, look what we made. Come experience this together with me. Now, this is just a tiny picture of how God created us to have dominion in the world. The, words, the, the language of Genesis says, name the animals, cultivate the plants, have dominion. One commentator said that it was God's desire that Adam and Eve would split the atom, that they would bring about all the flourishing of the world together with God as God walked with them, enjoy it themselves, but also enjoy it with God and offer it together with him. This is what it means to have dominion. This is what we were created for initially and originally. To bring all the goodness of God, his creativity, all the attributes of his image into the world to bring about its flourishing. And then when it flourishes, to bring it back to God and offer it to him and say, God, 
look at this. So that means anything that we do that we offer up to God brings him glory. I wish I was more artistic, but for the artist in the room, anytime you create beauty, you offer it to him. This is you reflecting his image back to him because God is a God of beauty and it brings him glory and joy. Anytime that we create order out of chaos, even something as small as a spreadsheet fixing a macro and a VLOOKUP, we can offer that to him because that's his image. Lots of snickering, lots of uh, Excel masters in the room here. Anytime we clean a playroom, you can offer that to him and bring him glory. The way we raise our families, he's given us dominion as parents. He's given us dominion in our jobs. He's given us dominion over our finances, which he calls us to use to sow generously and to bring about flourishing in the world and to serve others. Anytime we reflect the image of God by seeking righteousness and justice in the world, anytime we use whatever God has given us to lift up the dignity of someone else, anytime we share the story that God has for them, that all things are made new in Jesus Christ, all of this glorifies God because it points to his image and it's us having dominion over the things that he's given us. Do you see how much richness and texture this adds to every little detail in life? All things can be offered up to him. God created us to have dominion. And when we experience that dominion together with him, it glorifies him, bearing his image. This is our origin story. That God created us with dignity and to have dominion in the world. Selah. Now, of course, there's a problem. Many of us know the story of the Bible. And if you look at verse 8 here in Hebrews chapter 2, it gives us perhaps one of the greatest understatements in the whole Bible. It says, God created us to have dominion, put all things under our feet. At present, it says in verse 8, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. By him, he means all of mankind. So again, major understatement here. The hymn again is all of us. So God created the world to be good. He created us as the crown of his creation. He created us to have dominion. Yet when we look around the world, we don't see a flourishing, happy, easy, peaceful place. We do see elements of God's image, but we don't see the world that as God created there in Genesis. And that's because in Genesis 3, we know the rest of the story, all of mankind decided to be our own masters. We said, dominion you gave us, dominion I shall have. And we threw off the bonds of God's leadership. And rather than taking our dignity from him and taking his lead in our dominion, we took it for ourselves. In irony of ironies, we can't even master our own emotions. We can't even master our own souls, much less master the rest of the world. And we know the rest of the story. The fall happens and all things, that story that originally God gave us is lost. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection under the feet of mankind to glorify God. Now, it's interesting, it was the losing of this original story, the observation of the world, that led someone named Ayan Hirsi Ali, some of you might know her name, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's an interesting story. Uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali was raised in Nairobi, in a northern suburb of Nairobi that was an Islamist extremist area. And so she was raised sort of with that rhetoric, and then she went to study abroad. And as she was studying abroad, she started to ask deeper questions. And she was influenced by a pretty famous atheist like Russell Bertrand. And, uh, 
And, uh, and she read an essay once by him saying, why I am not a Christian, only much later in life, 25 years later in life, to actually come to faith in Jesus Christ and herself write an essay, why I am a Christian. By the way, I highly recommend the read to all of you in the room, Ayan Hirsi Ali, why I am a Christian. One excerpt from this essay says this, activist atheists believe that with the rejection of God, with us claiming dominion, us crowning ourselves, we would enter into an age of reason and intelligent humanism. But this God hole has merely been filled by a jumble of irrational, quasi-religious dogma. The result is a world where modern cults prey on the dislocated masses, offering them spurious reasons for being and for action. And that's what we see when we look at the world around us. We see an endless, anxious grasping. We see sort of like an existential anxiety that seems to pervade all of the world around us. It's, what this is is dislocated masses grasping for spurious reasons for being and for action. In other words, it's people trying to grab a hold of this story. They're trying to make their own stories or, or manufacture their own stories. But we know the truth from the scripture is that when these stories are not rooted in an all-wise, all-loving, unchanging God, then it will always lead down the path of anxiety and grasping. And that's what we see. Hop on Twitter or whatever you're, read the news. This is what we see, an anxious grasping. People trying to have dominion and claim their own dignity apart from God. Now this is where we see the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Love how it starts. But we see Jesus. So the story's lost. But we see Jesus We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see what the author does here, that we were created, we were made lower than the angels for a while, we were created to have dominion and to to be crowned with dignity, we lost that story, and then the author uses that same language. We see Jesus, who himself was made for a while little lower than the angels in the incarnation, then we know the rest of the story that God ascend, Jesus ascended into heaven as seated at the right hand of the Father. He's crowned with glory and honor, and he does have dominion. We see Jesus come in and restore this original story to all of mankind. That when people put their faith in him, that story is restored. Where we failed, all of us, he succeeded. Dignity lost, dignity restored in Jesus Christ. And it's from him. Dominion lost, dominion misguided, dominion used for ill will, dominion restored because it's connected to him. This is our story in Jesus Christ. This is who God made us to be. I just want to end here by uh, putting on a pastoral hat. And I know I'm a guest speaker and I don't know a lot of you, but I was on staff here over two years ago so I can sort of re-embrace that pastoral insight. I want to offer a short exhortation to all of us, I think, especially uh, in this, in our current culture and the way that we currently live, uh, offer a small challenge. Now, one of the most common ways that we, collectively, miss the story that God has for us is that we can, in our day-to-day at least, we can echo or at least almost be parallel to the things that the world says. The world says, Genesis 3, and is continuing to say, You said, have dominion, dominion I shall have. I crown myself with my own dignity. This is what the world says. Now, while we would acknowledge at least on the horizon and at least eternally 
that we live for God. In the meantime, in the day-to-day, oftentimes, and I speak to myself here, our time, our money, our goals, our efforts, what we look to for joy and satisfaction, in fact, the dominion that God has given us, often center around, how do I create my best life now? Now, God does, in his joy, just like in my joy, I give my children free time, God does give us freedom to pursue a good life. There's nothing wrong with that. He gives us dominion over all the things in our life. That's a good thing. But he didn't just give us dominion for ourselves. God gave us dominion originally to enjoy, yes, for ourselves, but to bring about all the flourishing of the world and to bring it back to God and to bring God into the world. This is the initial purpose of God giving us dominion. Not for Adam and Eve to make their best lives now, but for Adam and Eve to make the best world now directed by God and offering it to him. This is the original story that God has for us, that he crowns us, that he gives us dominion. And when God restored that story to us in Jesus Christ, this is how the Apostle Paul reflected on that in 2 Corinthians 5.15. And Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we see again, the story was given to us. We lost that story when we claimed our own dominion and our own dignity. Jesus restored that story to us in his death and his resurrection. So the question that I leave for you in your own prayers as you reflect is how then should we respond? Let us pray.